You're listening to a podcast from JNIS. Today, I'd like to introduce Jennifer Frontera, who has published a, an editor's choice article entitled Management of Subarachnoid Hemorrhage with the Intracerebral Hematoma Clipping and Clot Evacuation followed uh, versus Quail Embolization followed by Clot Evacuation. Um, Jennifer was at Mount Sinai uh, Medical Center when she researched her study, uh, but she's currently at the Cleveland Clinic Foundation. Jennifer, thanks very much for um, agreeing to talk to me, and congratulations on your article. Can you just tell me a little bit about some of the background of the article, you know, what questions you were trying to answer and what, why you thought those questions were important? Sure. Thanks so much for having me. It's really an honor to be able to participate. Um, so we conducted a retrospective study while I was at Mount Sinai between 2000 and 2009, and we were looking at patients that had aneurysmal subarachnoid hemorrhage and concomitant intracerebral hemorrhage um, who underwent aneurysm repair and clot evacuation. And mm-hmm. we wanted to compare patients who had coiling followed by clot evacuation to those who had concomitant clipping and coiling at the same time. Okay. And the idea behind this was that historically um, most institutions have done concomitant clipping and clot evacuation in these kinds of scenarios. The reason for that is um, some literature really that came out in the 80s where they Mm -hmm. looked at patients who um, either had early aggressive management and went to the OR early versus conservative management, which back in that era meant really kind of delayed surgery after the patient had passed through the vasospasm period. So not surprisingly, patients that had early uh, aneurysm repair and clot evacuation had lower mortality rates than those that were conservatively managed. And so after that sort of um, flurry of publications surrounding this treatment option, um, that was sort of the standard that was picked up by most institutions. But there's been an evolution really in treatment options for aneurysm repair, and not much has been published since uh, a lot of the endovascular options came to be typically used in in many institutions. So we wanted to sort of look at coiling with clot evacuation compared to basically the standard of clipping with clot evacuation to understand what are the differences in complications, aneurysm re-rupture rates, and outcomes, as well as costs, looking at these two different treatment modalities. Over the last few years, people have published sort of case series looking at coiling followed by clot evacuation, but we couldn't really find any literature that compared directly this group to the traditional group of clipping with clot evacuation. So that was really the point of our study. And it was a single-center retrospective study that we conducted at Mount Sinai, which is a tertiary referral center for the New York metropolitan area. Um, So it's a small case series um, comparing the two groups, but we thought uh, still it would be a useful um, study to conduct. Can you talk about uh, a little bit about the results um, that, that you found? Sure. So over the time frame we were looking at, we had 25 patients that had SCH with ICH that was either over 30 cc's in volume or accompanied by over 5 millimeters of shift who underwent um, some kind of repair procedure. Out of these patients, 10 of them underwent 
aneurysm coiling with clot evacuation, and eight underwent clipping with clot evacuation. And there were seven patients that had aneurysm repair, but no clot evacuation, and those patients were not included in the analysis. They primarily had smaller ICH volume and less, less shift. Okay. And what we found primarily was that the patients who had coiling followed by clot evacuation had a significantly shorter time to aneurysm repair of about five hours versus 15 hours in the clipped plus clot evacuation cohort, and this is a significant difference in time. Um, there was a significant increase in OR time for the clipped group and a significant increase in angio time, as well as you might imagine for the coiled group. But the most important thing to us was that the aneurysms were getting repaired more quickly. And people have shown that in patients with ICH plus subarachnoid hemorrhage, the rebleed rate for aneurysms can be up to two to three times that of patients with subarachnoid hemorrhage without an ICH. Okay. So we thought that this was particularly important. And we also know from the literature that rebleeding is a major contributing factor to morbidity and mortality. So to try to prevent aneurysm rebleed, uh, we thought was a very important factor. We also found that despite the coiling group being sicker, so in this cohort, they had lower GCS scores, they had more herniation, about 50% in the coiling group versus 25% in the clipped group. They also had a worse modified Fisher scores, slightly higher ICH volume, and worse ICH scores. So despite being an overall sicker population, they still had similar outcomes to the clipped group. So the coiled group had about a 30% mortality rate. The clipped group had a 25% mortality rate, which was not statistically significantly different. And the discharge disposition was poor, meaning they either died or went to a nursing home in 60% of the coiled group and 63% of the clipped group. Now, again, our numbers are small, so um, there's no statistically significant difference in this, but, you know, they are you know, quite encouraging for us because the coiled group, if anything, was sicker to start off with and that they still had similar outcomes to the clipped group. Right. And the right. cost between the two groups was also about the same, around $60,000 for the entire hospitalization, whether you underwent clipping with clot evacuation or coiling with clot evacuation. So was the cost sort of made up in the clipping? Because I, I imagine the implant costs were higher in the, in the coiled group, um, so was it made up other ways between the clip and the coil group? You know, it's interesting. The the majority of the cost was not the actual repair itself. So mm -hmm. um, the the surgical cost for the clips group was around $7,000, and for the coiled group was um, a median of around $8,800, which was not oh, okay. uh, significantly different. The angiographic cost was... Um, slightly higher for the coiled group, as you might imagine, which encompasses mm -hmm. the cost of the coils themselves. Mm -hmm. um, so, yes, though, that's, the, you know, a bit of the difference there. But, again, um, across the different breakouts of costs, really they were similar. So we looked at overhead, ICU cost, angiographic costs, surgical cost, and um, they actually were not too different between the two groups. Okay. So one of the advantages obviously, of evacuating the clot and clipping at the same time as interprocedural hemorrhage. Um, were there any in the surgical group that you can recall? Or? Because this was retrospective, we were really relying on the operative reports for the mm -hmm. clipped group. 
And so, no, there were no reblues reported in the clipped group. Um, and again, I think a prospective study would probably be able to capture data with a little more granularity and specificity right. than we were. But no, we did not have any rebleeds in the CLIFS group. There was one aneurysm re-rupture in the coiled group, and uh, that, uh, again, unfortunately, we don't have much understanding of what led to that re-rupture if the coils or the wires had perforated the dome of the aneurysm or if another um, uh, technical issue had led to that complication. So that is one limitation of a retrospective study is we just don't have the level of detail we'd like to understand the complications. Right, right. That being said, there was no significant difference in complications between the clipped group and the coiled group. Okay. You know, even though the aneurysms were secured quicker in the coiled group, Obviously, there was probably a, a little bit of a delay in clot evacuation. Is there any clinical significance to that? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, it took about 19 hours in the coiled group to undergo both repairs, meaning mm -hmm. the aneurysm protection and the clot evacuation, compared to 15 hours in the clipped group. This was not a significant time difference, um, but certainly it's a concern if there's going to be ongoing um, brain injury related to herniation from the mm -hmm. ICH. The coiled group actually, as I mentioned earlier, actually had a significantly or had a, had a higher rate of herniation. 50% of the coiled group had clinical signs of herniation compared to 25% of the clipped group. And despite the fact that the coiled group was worse off and had longer time to clot evacuation, there were no differences in mortality rates or discharge disposition. Hmm. So, okay. um, again, we were encouraged by that, and you know, the caveat being that these are small numbers, but apparently it wasn't as dire an issue as you might imagine it would be to get the clot out um, uh, with that four-hour difference in uh, time between the clipped and coiled group. And, and then, you know, with the coil group, can you talk a little bit about anticoagulant and antithrombotic management, how, how that was handled? Yes. So the standard process for the coiled group was to receive 4,000 units of heparin, and then the ACT was followed, and depending on the ACT, they might get 1,000 units at a given time in response to ACT values. So all of the coiled patients did receive heparin despite the fact that they had a concomitant ICH and were on the way to the Ooh. operating room. The only person in the coiled group that had ICH expansion was a patient that also got aspirin because part of the coil mass was protruding into the parent vessel. Okay. That patient actually did have ICH expansion from 23 cc's to 50 cc's and did have a symptomatic deterioration from that ICH expansion. So I would say if the aneurysm looks like it's going to require, let's say, stent-assisted coiling with dual antiplatelets, that's probably not a treatment modality you would want to pursue mm -hmm. in a patient that's going to have to go for ICH evacuation. It would just okay. make the evacuation that much more technically difficult for the operating surgeon. And uh, it's possible you'd have an increased risk of ICH expansion before you could even make it to the operating room. So. In those circumstances, um, probably you might lean towards 
uh, making the decision to clip the aneurysm. And again, that's something that you would learn uh, morphologically when you get in and do the diagnostic component of the angiogram. Right, right. Ignoring aneurysm morphology, are there any locations of aneurysms or clot locations that might favor one strategy versus the other? Well, um, we did notice that patients that underwent clipping more often had an MCA location aneurysm, mm-hmm. and that the coiled groups seem to have uh, a little bit more PCOM location aneurysm. And so I would imagine that um, a distal M- M1 or M2 aneurysm might be a little bit harder to get out to endovascularly and uh, would perhaps require more time to aneurysm protection mm-hmm. versus um, a, a surgical aneurysm repair. So, you know, again, it's, it depends somewhat on the location and the ease with which the endovascularist could potentially repair the aneurysm and how much time they think it would take. So um, certainly PCOMs and ACOMs, which, again, are less likely to be associated with mass-occupying ICHs but are more are, are proximal and, and perhaps easier to endovascular repair, um, might potentially benefit more than distal MCA aneurysms. Um, but again, the bulk of patients that are going to have this type of process with a, a significant ICH and a subarachnoid hemorrhage are going to be MCA aneurysms. So after the study, did the results change the standard of practice at Sinai or now at the Cleveland Clinic? Well, one thing we did notice was the delay in uh, surgical time compared to uh the time that it took to coil off an aneurysm, the time it took to coil the aneurysm and protect it was significantly longer in the surgical group. And Mm -hmm. one reason might be that we did not have intraop angio um, full capabilities to repair an angiogram or repair an aneurysm intraoperatively at Mount Sinai. I mean, they did have the ability to do diagnostic intraoperative uh, aneurysm um, excuse me, they had the ability to do diagnostic intraoperative angiograms, but not the full capability to coil the aneurysm in mm-hmm. the OR suite. So if, um, you, know, patient, you know, facilities that do have that capability may in fact be able to trim down the time to aneurysm repair, which has consequences in um, protecting against aneurysm re-rupture. And so that is something that uh, certainly caught the, the department's interest when I was at Mount Sinai. Uh, Cleveland Clinic does have um, a combined OR angio suite where they perform most of their aneurysm repair procedures. So they have the capability of um, flexing to an open procedure in the same location. And that okay. cuts out a lot of the transport time and the OR setup time. So I think that, that's a, uh, a significant benefit Great. Well, those are all the questions I have. Anything else that you want to add? Well, I guess I would say that the one, you know, there are some other technical benefits to coiling an aneurysm before you remove a clot. And Mm -hmm. aside from aneurysm repair that we've really focused quite a bit, um, aneurysm re-rupture reduction, which we focus quite a bit on, when uh, you surgically go to remove a clot and you have the uh, unprotected aneurysm, obviously that that's, makes the risk of intraoperative rupture um, that much higher. In fact, uh, it's been reported 
of intraoperative ruptures happen at the time of hematoma removal, and 17% happen with just brain retraction alone in a group that underwent concomitant clipping and clot evacuation. If the aneurysm is already coiled, you really don't have to do as large of an exposure. There's less brain retraction. When you retract brain that's been injured by an ICH or surrounding edema, you can cause additional edema, and as well, you can sort of disrupt autoregulation and uncouple cerebral blood flow and metabolism that can lead to ischemia and infarction. So the more you can limit those um, brain retraction issues and the opportunity for aneurysm re-rupture interoperatively, potentially the better your patient should do. So this was a small cohort uh, study that was retrospective, but subsequently we have been collecting prospective data on patients that undergo uh, coiling followed by clot evacuation. So we're hoping to get a little bit more granular data to be able to understand the benefits of this treatment paradigm. But largely from this study, we wanted to show that at least this is a reasonable treatment option that's uh, probably uh, as safe as the standard of concomitant clipping and, and clot evacuation. Yeah, I'd be very interested in seeing the prospective data. That sounds that sounds great. Well, Gen- Jennifer, thank you very much for spending time to talk to me today. And again, congratulations on the nice work that you did. Thanks very much. I I really appreciate talking to you guys.